week. So grab a pew Bible. It's page 1091 in your pew Bible. We're going to be looking at Acts 13, 14, and 15. Um, Since March, we've been talking Jesus. We looked at six weeks of Jesus and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and it all came to a culmination on Easter Sunday when we studied the, uh, the big idea that hope is a who, Jesus Christ. And he overcame death and rose again. And because Jesus lives, we can live as well. Last week started the first of three weeks looking at the book of Acts. Chapters 28, 29, and 30 of the story. And the book of Acts, if I were to define it, it's a sequel to the incredible life of Jesus Christ. In the gospel, we see all about Jesus. And the book of Acts, written by Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, is an exciting sequel to the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Last week we tackled chapters 1 through 10. This week we're going to look at the middle part of the book of Acts. And next week we'll look at the remaining part of the book of Acts, chapters 21 through 28. What I want to do today is probably too much, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm probably going to throw too much your way. I'm going to try to give you snapshots of the first missionary journey so that you can understand what took place when Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas and Paul and Apollos and Paul and Timothy went on these great journeys. Paul was a part of three missionary journeys and the trip to Rome. Some people consider that a fourth missionary journey. He went on these journeys to spread the good news of Jesus Christ literally all over the world. And so let's dive in today, chapters 13, 14, and 15 of the book of Acts. You're going to do yourself a huge favor if you will spend time today or or later this week reading these in this entirety. I got up this morning early and in one setting read Acts 13, 14, and 15, and I challenge you to do the same. So six events from the first missionary journey, Acts 13 through 15. Look at this map that we're going to put up on the screen. This shows you where the journey actually took place. It started in Antioch, and it sailed to Cyprus, and the next thing you know, we're in Galatia and Asia Minor, Pisidian Antioch. And the first missionary journey, the first big event that I want you to see is this. It comes about as a result of worship, fasting, and prayer. The first missionary journey comes as a result of worship, prayer, and fasting. The very beginning of Acts chapter 13 gives us this account. It says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, why they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. Uh, the temptation with the first missionary journey is to say, give us the sermons. Give us the, the flashy sermons that Paul and Barnabas preached. Give us the miracles, the healings. Give us the dissension, the time that people rose up against them and, and fought them, and there was a battle between God and, and the world. But it starts with worship. It starts with prayer. It starts with fasting, and I'm reminded in my life today, in our lives today, as followers of Jesus, we must spend adequate time seeking God's will for our lives and for our church. Yesterday was the 8th Annual Intentional Church Conference, which our church is a a part of. We've been a part of it from the very beginning, and one of the speakers yesterday was a guy by the name of Christopher Yuan, Chinese-American. And we're bringing Christopher to Clinton, hopefully this fall, to share his story. It's one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard in my life. 
But I want to give you just a small part of his story. He was in a very dark place. He was in a place far, far from God. And his mother began to pray and fast for him. She fasted every Monday for seven years that he would come home. Let me say that again. Fasted every Monday for seven years. She had her own little prayer closet, praying that God would wake up her son, praying that he would turn from the error of his ways. And it's, a, it's an incredible story, but her prayer was answered in an unconventional kind of way. I hear stories like that, and I'm reminded, I can't get so busy doing that I forget that I'm first called to be in Christ. Are you a person who sees worship as a priority, sees prayer as a priority, sees fasting as a priority? That's how the missionary journey began, with worship, prayer, and fasting. Second, the first missionary journey brings about gospel expansion, and and the gospel starts to go all over the world. It's hard living on the other side of history and knowing the Jesus story. And many of us know the story of the Bible. We've studied it maybe most of our lives. It's hard to realize that during Jesus' three-year public ministry on earth, um, most of the world knew nothing about it. In fact, when he arrived in Jerusalem for Passion Week, there were people that had never seen him before. They'd never heard of him before. Some people may have heard about a miracle or a, maybe a sermon that he preached or, or something that had unfolded. There were certainly many that were followers. But in terms of all over the world, it just wasn't happening. If a major event happened today, say in India, or a major event happened today, say in Italy or Russia, pick a country. We know about it like that. Because of cable, because of satellite, because of Twitter, because of Facebook, because of all the other social media apps that I don't know how to do. I, I, I mean, it's all over the world. That's not what the first century world was like. And so for the very first time as they go on this journey, gospel expansion is taking place. We see this account. They left Antioch. Antioch was maybe one of the most important churches in the first century. In fact, Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. This is Antioch just up the road from Jerusalem. They left Antioch for the port city of Seleucia, sailed to the island of Cyprus. They preached in places called Salamis and Paphos, sailed to Perga. Then they traveled to the Pisidian region, visiting Pisidian Antioch. There's two Antiochs. My people don't know that. Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And then they went back and stopped along the way, finally getting home to Antioch. How long do you think this journey was? Do it in a month, maybe? Six weeks, maybe? About two and a half years. Quite some time. You know, I think mission trip, I think get on an airplane on Sunday, be somewhere seven to ten days, get on another airplane, come home, and, and loving life and hugging my wife and hugging my kids before I know. That's not what they experienced. These, many of these journeys took years They'd given their life to preaching the good news. There's the map of it again. I know you probably can't see that well, but if you have a study Bible, there's a really good chance that in the back there is a maps section. If you don't, our library has maps, and you can see literally all over the world where the gospel is going. So what's our takeaway in 2015? What's this have to do with our lives today? Like Paul, like Barnabas, we must embody a passion to teach the lost. I get a little bit out of shape when I hear Christians tell me that churches spend too much money on missions, too much money on on evangelism. You can't spend too much money on missions. It's impossible. It's who we are. 
Now, let me say this. We need to be passionate about people in India that need to know Jesus. We need to be passionate about people in Africa that need to know Jesus. We need to be passionate about people in Clinton that need to know Jesus. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And the passion is the same, teaching people the best news that they've never heard. Jesus Christ. Hope is a who. Event number two, gospel expansion. Event number three, the first missionary journey involves disappointments and persecution and suffering. And I think for, for many of us, we think if, if we just live strong for Jesus and I'm living within God's will, life's going to be great. Trouble won't come my way. Everything will go like I'm going to have the, the storybook life. I'm going to have the fairy tale life. And for some followers of Jesus, that's what happens. But on this missionary journey, there's a lot of positives. The gospel's expanding. There's a lot of heartbreak. There's a lot of disappointment. There's persecution. There's suffering. And it may be when you're on your journey of life with Jesus, you may taste some disappointment. You may experience some persecution. And if that happens to you, no, no, you're not the first person that it's happening to. You're not the last person that it's going to happen to. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. It's part of being a disciple. I want to give you some snapshots. We're going to throw several scriptures up. I'm going to talk a little bit about them. But what I want you to understand, over this long period of time of the first missionary journey, there were disappointments along the way. There was persecution along the way. There's suffering along the way. At the beginning of the journey, we learn of a disappointment that takes place. In verse 13 of chapter 13, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And that sounds kind of benign. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Okay, somebody left them. Who was John? This is John Mark, is who it is. And we don't know why he left them, but when they were getting ready to do the sending off of the team, and it was a team, Paul and Barnabas are listed. And then John is listed. He had a significant part of this missionary journey. And early in the journey, he said, I've had enough. I'm done. I'm going back to Jerusalem. Why? We don't know. But it was disappointing. Toward the end of chapter 13, following a a sermon that that Paul had preached. By the way, I, I mentioned Saul earlier. Now I'm talking Paul, same person. In chapter 13, we we find that Saul was also known as Paul. In in verses 44 and 45, we see that following a great sermon in Pisidian Antioch, the next Sabbath, people gather again, and this time it's a much larger crowd. It says, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. That's a good thing, right? There's no empty pews. I mean, it's packed. People want to hear the word. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. And they didn't like the message. And so they started talking abusively against him. Late in chapter 13, Verse 49, we learn that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. It's kind of like a virus that's spreading, only it's good. The word of God, the word of the Lord is spreading. But look, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing, the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. God's using them. The gospel is expanding. People are excited They say, this is too much. They they stir up trouble and they kick them out. Paul and Barnabas, they don't really protest. 
They don't really fight. They don't really say, let's have a debate about it. They shook shook the, the dirt off their sandals, and they move on their way. Okay, you don't want us here? Good. We'll move on to the next region. Protest in a way, but they said, that's fine. We'll go on and keep preaching. When they get to um, um, the city that's listed in Acts chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, we see that it's a divided city. We see that it's a place where some people like the message of Jesus, others do not. Some are siding with the Jews, others with the apostles. But look at verse 5, another disappointment along the way, persecution along the way. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. If you're new, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to be funny, I'm really not. When we talk about someone being stoned, we're not talking about marijuana being stoned, okay? We're talking about being killed. We're talking about being thrown out the city and big, huge boulders being rolled over on top of them. And that's what they wanted to do to Paul and Barnabas. They're tired of hearing this Jesus thing. And and in verses 19 and 20, in in Iconium, people came all the way from Pisidian Antioch, and they incite a crowd, and they stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city. They thought he was dead. Now, what's absolutely amazing about this is Paul's resolve. I'll get to that in just a moment. But I want you to see all in this that there are disappointments. There is persecution. There is frustration. The storms of life, even in the midst of doing God's work, even in the midst of fulfilling God's will, there's disappointment. And so when the storms of life visit you, when the storms of life visit us, we must be strong, even in the midst of our Christian walk. Even when we say, God, I'm within your will. I'm doing what you've called me to do. We must be strong in the faith. Event number four, the first missionary journey involves theological misunderstandings. This is, um, this is really important. So I'm going to read a lot of the, the passage right here in chapter 14. It's an account that took place in the city of Lystra, and it involves a miracle. Look at verse 8. It says, In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Does that sound like anything we studied last week? Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Acts chapter 3, same deal. Now, last week when Peter and John performed that miracle and they healed that lame man, what happened to them? They faced some persecution. They had to go before the Sanhedrin and give an account. And they were told, you stop preaching Jesus. And they said, not a chance. We're going to keep preaching Jesus. Different reaction today. Look at verse 11. It says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. That's a good thing, right? They think they're some of their gods. That's better than being stoned, right? It's better than being persecuted, right? Not not really. It's just as troubling. It's just as problematic. Theological misunderstandings are big deals. Let's read on, verse 14. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men 
human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, God let all nations go their own way, yet He has not left Himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Theological misunderstandings are very problematic. It's a big deal. Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe what you believe? Do do you know what First Christian Church believes? What we would consider our theology? What we would consider our doctrine? Now, I interrupt this sermon for this uh, informational tidbit that I need to share with you. Next Sunday evening is Discover First Christian Church from 5.30 to 7. It's in the Family Life Center. There will be food served, so that's always a good thing. But even more than the food, you're going to learn about the history of FCC, the theology of FCC, and the ministries of FCC. Um, I don't want to be a place where you're here and, and don't know what's happening with your church. So if you're not sure what, what we are about theologically, can I encourage you to join us next Sunday evening? Now, Genevieve Farnsworth, who's like 93 and has been around this church more than any person I know and should probably teach the class next Sunday evening, she said she's going to come, so it won't only be new people that are going to be here. And, and if you've been around here a long time and you want to come, you're welcome to be there as well. But here's the point. We have to own our faith. We have to own our theology. We have to understand our theology. And you're never too old to keep learning. I had someone come up to me after first service that's been around Christianity longer than I've been alive, and he said, I never knew there were two Antiochs. Kind of the light bulb went off. Now, do you need to know that there's two Antiochs in Acts to go to heaven? No. But it's pretty cool when even late in, in, in a, a life following after Jesus, you're still learning. And that's my challenge for you. Event number five, the first missionary journey emboldens Paul and Barnabas in the face of danger. And I want to read for you kind of the the, the end of the missionary journey, what played out. Verse 19 of chapter 14 says, Then some Jews came from Antioch, this is Pisidian Antioch, and Iconium, and won over the crowd. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Now, i got to tell you, if that's me at that point, and I'm not dead, but they think I'm dead, I'm out of there. I'm in my car, my motorcycle, my bike, my camel, whatever I have, I am gone. I'm done with those people. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, I'm still alive. But that's not his story. Look at verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. Catch this next verse. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. 
And the takeaway, the reminder for us in 2015 is this. We must be willing to be Christ's ambassadors no matter what. We've got to be willing to be people that proclaim the truth no matter what. At our conference yesterday, a friend in ministry asked me, what do you think it's going to look like 10 years from now for people that are preachers, for people that are, that are youth group leaders, for people that just go to churches and believe what their church is all about and embrace their doctrine and embrace their theology? What's it going to be like? Is it going to be the same as it is today? Or are we going to face more hardships? And my answer was a really profound one. I have no idea is what that answer is. I don't know. But I know this, whatever the context, whatever the setting, we're called to be Christ's ambassadors. We're called to be people of truth. Do you realize that today, meaning Sunday, there are places in this world and most of them are done with their Sunday worship times by the time we, we get to Sunday morning here in America. Many places people had to gather in secret, had to gather in basements, had to gather in the dark to proclaim the good news of Jesus to one another. Some of them have to use secret codes. But, you know, the reports that come out of North Korea, a place where it's against the law to be a Christian, is that the gospel's spreading. How's that happening? I don't know. I just know that there's people that are called to be Christ ambassadors. And even when their government says, we're going to kill you if you keep doing it, they keep doing it. They do it in secret, but they keep doing it. We must be willing to be Christ ambassadors. Now, that's the end of the first missionary journey. And most sermons on the first missionary journey stop right there. And I could stop right now and we'd get out of church early and you know, beat people to the restaurant and all that. But th there's an after effect of the first missionary journey that I really believe is part of the first missionary journey that we can't miss. And that's why I'm going to call it event number six. And here it is. Following the first missionary journey, conflict arises with the potential to divide and devastate the church Following the missionary journey, they go to Antioch. Everyone's excited. They're loving the Lord. They stay there for a while. They go down the way to Jerusalem. And when they come up into Jerusalem, they give a report. They're given a missionary update. You wonder why do we have missionaries back and why do we have them give updates? We had Pete Coco from ISU a couple weeks ago. Why do we do that? It's a biblical thing. That happened in the Bible. They'd go on their journey. They'd give a report. And they go to Jerusalem, which is kind of the mother church. It's kind of the hub. And they're talking about all that's happening, and Paul and Barnabas are telling their stories. And the Judaizers, who are Jewish people that love Jesus, they're committed to Jesus, they get a little upset. Because they're hearing about all these people that believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they're repenting of their sins. And they're confessing that Jesus is Lord, and they're being baptized, but they're saying, you missed something. Before you get to all of that, you need to be circumcised and you say circumcision you got to talk about circumcision in church i'm getting ready to eat lunch in a little bit are you kidding me i have to talk about it for a moment because what played out first and foremost is a doctrinal conflict that could have absolutely divided the church it could have absolutely split the church paul and barnabas said as they go to the gentiles gentiles simply someone that's not jewish they're preaching jesus they're saying believe, they're saying repent, they're saying confess, they're saying be baptized, and people are doing just that. The Judaizers are saying before you can become a Christian, you must first become a Jew. And if you're a woman, it's not a big deal. And if you're a guy, it's the big C word, and that's not a lot of fun. 
And so they have this council, they have this debate, and they have this discussion. And Paul and Barnabas talk, and the Judaizers talk, and James, the brother of Jesus, rules over the council. And James says, here's the deal, we're not going to make it difficult for Gentiles coming to Jesus. They don't have to become Jews first. They don't have to be circumcised. He says, we are going to ask that the Gentiles abstain from some things. We won't even get into that today. But they say, we're not going to be making it difficult for people to come to Jesus. The best part of this account is that nowhere in the first 35 verses of Acts chapter 15 do you see the Judaizers didn't get their way, so they walked. They didn't get what they wanted to be the response, so they were out of there. What we see is a a, a, a movement on the verge of division, a movement that could have been devastated, pulled together, staying together, because conflict was successfully resolved. That's conflict number one. The second conflict in Acts chapter 15, most people miss. I mean, they read the first 35 verses, they think that's enough, and they forget the last part of it, the last six verses, and it's the ministry status of John Mark. Following the first missionary journey, they're ready to go on a second missionary journey. And Paul and Barnabas are putting the team together, and Barnabas says, let me call John Mark. Paul says, what are you talking about? He deserted us. And Barnabas says, but I want to give him a second chance. And Paul says, not a chance. He's a quitter. He's a deserter. No way am I giving him a second chance. Who was right, do you think? You know what the answer is? I think both were right. You say, that is so political, Greg. How can both be right? Someone's right, someone's wrong. Barnabas was right to give people a second chance. I'm a guy that's gotten second chances. You are people that have gotten second chances. But I got to tell you, I think Paul was right because he didn't feel good about bringing John Mark to the team. And so the conflict, the personal conflict is so intense, they part company. They make the decision to go different directions. Now that's heartbreaking for me. Um, one person, one preacher said that Paul and Barnabas were like the Batman and Robin of first century evangelism. And I don't know who was Batman, Paul's probably Batman, but they split. They went their different directions and we never hear of Barnabas again. This is the last time we read of Barnabas in the book of Acts. And Barnabas takes John Mark and goes on a journey. And Paul takes Silas and Timothy and later Apollos, and he goes on the second missionary journey and the third missionary journey and the trip to Rome. I share this with you today for two reasons. Number one, understand conflict is dangerous. If you are a person that enjoys conflict, um, you need to rethink that. I only have met a, a handful of people that really enjoy conflict. They really, they, they kind of get going by conflict. Conflict is dangerous. Churches have split because of conflict. Families have been devastated because of conflict involving the faith. And this conflict right here caused the parting of a great missionary team. Now the rest of the story, I didn't even tell first service the rest of the story. The rest of the story is John Mark went on to write the gospel of Mark. So he, 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 did the most with his second chance. And the real rest of the story is the very last book that, that Paul wrote, we'll study next week, is Second Timothy. The very last chapter in it, he says, send John Mark to me. He's useful for me in ministry. So reconciliation took place there as well, but understand, conflict is dangerous. So what's our takeaway? Here's the takeaway. We must be willing to effectively resolve conflict. 
for the good of the church, for the good of the kingdom. And I, I just say to you today, if you find yourself in conflict with somebody, if you find yourself at odds with somebody, if you're someone that just likes conflict, you just enjoy it, um, soberly question if that's the right move or not. If you're in conflict with somebody, don't let it fester another day. Don't let it fester another week. I think that one of the real tragedies in the modern world is when Christians can't get along with one another. And the world looks at us and they're like, you people are so stupid, you can't even get along with one another? And you want me to be one of you? Are you kidding me? It's tragic. And so the bottom line from the first missionary journey, Acts 13, 14, and 15 is this. Paul and Barnabas and the team boldly made a difference for the kingdom during and following the first missionary journey. The gospel is expanding. The good news is being proclaimed. And so what's that got to do with us? While we're on our journey of life, we're called to boldly make a difference as well. And next week we'll wrap up the book of Acts. We'll look at Paul's last days. We're almost done with the story. We've just got a couple weeks left. If you want to prepare for worship next week, next week read the, read the last eight chapters of the book of Acts. Let's pray. God, thank you for today and the chance to be in your word. We covered a lot of territory today, but it's my prayer that it's not just territory. It's not just a history lesson, but that we'll understand um, just what our call is on our journey of life to be your ambassadors and to overcome disappointment and to stand strong for you and to own our theology. And when conflict arises, not to pretend it's going to go away, not to hope that we'll wake up tomorrow and we'll be there, but to resolve it, even when it's hard, even when it's tough to have hard conversations, to do just that. We love you, and we thank you for the hope we have because of your son Jesus. Hope is the who. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It is um, invitation time. Every Sunday we have this opportunity. And I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to have the chance to have a prayer with you. I see Adam in the back. Adam Brucker, our associate minister, would love to pray with you during these next couple songs. Just come on up if you want someone to pray with you. But if you're not sure where you're at faith-wise, you're not sure you are a follower of Jesus Christ, um, I